0: Welcome to the New Books Network.
1: Home is the place many of us have spent our days for the last eight months. During the pandemic, our homes have become our workplaces, our classrooms, and our social spaces through apps like Zoom. But no matter what we do in our homes, for many of us, the notion of a home is fixed, tied just as much to a specific place as it is to our identities, both how we understand who we are and the ways we communicate that self to the world. Whether our country, our region, or our city, when asked where we come from, most of us will respond with a definitive answer. This is the place I call my home. But for some, the concept of home is anything but stable or fixed. For author Megan Harlan, a nomadic family lifestyle led her to live in 17 homes across four continents by the time she was 17 years old. In Mobile Home, A Memoir and Essays, Harlan recounts her experiences living in some of the world's most historically rich remote places and how these many homes afforded her an appreciation and a keen eye for architecture, anthropology, history, literature, the natural world, and so much more. In this meticulously researched debut collection, Harlan explores questions about how we become ourselves through fascinating stories of the many places she is called home. Today on New Books in Literature, please welcome Megan Harlan for a conversation about her new book, Mobile Home, available now from the University of Georgia Press. Megan, thank you so much for being
0: here with us today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to talk to you.
1: Well, wonderful. So first, um, I just wanted to ask about uh, Mobile Home as the winner of the Association of Writers and Writing Programs Award for Creative Nonfiction. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about that prize and your experience with it?
0: Sure. Um, So the AWP Award for Creative Nonfiction is a book publication prize where the University of Georgia Press publishes the winner in the fall of each year. Um, UGA Press is really known for doing just truly beautiful work um, editing, designing, producing their books. And the judge for 2019, um, the year that I won, was Deborah Monroe, um, a brilliant memoirist and fiction writer who's published six books. Um, So both of those elements were huge draws for me. Um, My actual experience, though, was honestly, this was the prize I most wanted to win of the several that I submitted to that year. Um, It was also the first one I submitted to. um, I was actually putting the finishing touches onto my manuscript the day of the submission deadline. Um, And, you know, at the time, I really viewed the prize um, as a hard deadline to push myself to complete the manuscript. Um, but when I received the call um, later that year in the summer from Supriya Bhatnagar at AWP telling me that I'd won, um, I was just beyond thrilled.
1: Yeah. Um, so let's talk about the book itself. In an early chapter, um, so this is the big premise of the book, you write that you lived in a total of 17 homes across four continents by the time you were 17 years old. So could you tell us about why your family moved so much into such remote parts of the world? What was the effect of all of the moving on you growing up? And was it something you struggled with? Did you enjoy it? (laughs) Um, Yeah.
0: So my family moved so much because of my father's job in the engineering and construction industry. Um, He worked for an international firm that specializes in very large scale projects. Um, So we hopscotched around California, Texas, Alaska, um, but also London. Uh, We spent three years in Saudi Arabia in two towns along the Arabian Gulf. Um, We lived a year in Colombia in a remote jungle region, um, which is a somewhat random assortment of cultures and places. Um, All of this moving um, really also involved just a huge amount of travel uh, because my parents made a point of seeing as much of the world as we could. Um, and that part I loved. I loved the travel, um, really from a very young age and probably more, I'm guessing, than, than most children do. Um, I was, I think, swept up in my parents' notion of adventure and how lucky we were to do these amazing journeys, you know, where we'd go to Nepal, um, Egypt, and Switzerland on a single trip. Um, and I was something of a sponge. Um, I remember these trips in really vivid detail, which um, has proven useful as a memoirist. Um, you know, today I would struggle to tell you what I was doing a month ago without actually, you know, <laughs> putting some effort into it. But I really do remember so much of the places I experienced as a child with um with real clarity. Um, but th- I have to say the moves themselves were difficult. Um, and it wasn't until I became a parent myself that I began to understand, I think, just how difficult they were. Um, At the time, when I was a kid, I soldiered through. Um, You know, my parents came from the generation that said, kids are so adaptable, you know. And I think kids are adaptable, but mostly because they really have no choice in the matter. Um, You know, through raising my son, I think I've been able to see how critical having a sense of home and a place that you kind of belong to um, is, is you know, important for child development. And, um, you know, some places I lived offered so few, even just literal resources to the local people. And some places offered endless possibilities and like an embarrassment of riches um, culturally and, and in other ways. And so one thing I saw very young was how much we are shaped by our places, these elements of place, you know, whether or not we're really aware of it.
1: I'm glad that you bring that up, this concept of home, because my next question um, is about an early uh, aphorism that you write, a really gorgeous sentence that reads, you can't really know what your world determines about you, where it ends and where you begin. It would require a map of all the places and times you said no to it, where and when you said yes, and how deeply you've meant it. So how ultimately do you approach this question about where you are from? as a writer and how has writing Mobile Home helped you arrive at this answer?
0: Yeah, as far as approaching this question as a writer, um, my work I feel is to know there's never going to be one answer. <laughs> um, and so I'm really trying to capture the truth of where I'm from um, You know, by exploring the idea of home from as many angles and perspectives and with as much imagination As I can manage. Um, You know, one thing that writing mobile home underscored to me is my own belief system about the world, which is um, how little I believe in fixed labels. You know, I fundamentally view that our lives and our relationships and our sense of self, all of these things are in some way in constant motion, um, even if that motion is is subtle. Um, And so to answer a question is really just offering a snapshot of your perspective in that moment of time. Um, So today, if someone asks where I'm from, I will give a straightforward answer, like I grew up overseas or I moved around a lot as a kid. Um, But as a writer, it's really quite different. I'm not trying to offer answers, I think, as much as asking more interesting questions (laughs) Um, and also to test, I think, the limits of any answers I've already settled on.
1: So in an essay called Spider Season, you write about constructing a stable sense of home for your young son. And of this, you write, um, what looks like average good fortune, the ability to provide a single comfortable home, neighborhood and school for him requires heavy effort and vigilance for people like me, the children of emotionally itinerant, of alcoholics, of other volatile often their own worlders. Patterns of normal can feel like anything but to us. Can you talk about some of the challenges you faced as a parent attempting to create a different childhood for your son than the one that you had?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, so since having my son, um, I have definitely lived a life that is very different from what it would have been had I remained childless, um, which has got to be true of every single parent who has ever lived. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, <laughs> The added challenge for me is basically um, this project of really reinventing the wheel of creating a single normal home for a child to grow up in because, of course, I didn't have that. Um, So a lot of what is clear and obvious, I think, to everyone else on this subject often feels to me like a foreign country. Um, So I have taken real delight in my son's enjoyment of our home and his life. Um, And I can see that living in one place, is really working out for him. Um, You know, my husband and I picked a place uh, Berkeley in California that, um, you know, does have this strong aspect of really being like an international crossroads. You know, one of my very favorite things about Berkeley is um, there's so many people here who come from places that really span the globe. Um, and, you know, because they're here for the university. Um, so that's been great for my son. And I think giving him a sense of the larger world Um, You know, the downside for me personally has been predictable. (laughs) Um, I do suffer from a sense of kind of cultural claustrophobia sometimes, but, um, you know, I've been here for 13 years now, and that would not be true um, if it weren't for my son and trying to keep him in one setting, you know, one school district. Um, But I will say it has, I think, been good for my writing. Um, I do think I work out some of my wanderlust and my far sickness uh, in my writing.
1: So in the the titular essay of the collection, Mobile Home, and in a couple of other ones, too, you cite this um, early fascination with the Wizard of Oz. So um, what drew you to this classic story when you were a little girl? And what parallels do you see now between the story and your childhood? (laughs) Yes,
0: Um, I think it is fair to say I was obsessed with the Wizard of Oz for a while there as a kid. Um, I read the book when I was three. And as I read about, it really blew my mind. Um, For about six months afterwards, I would only respond to the name Dorothy. Uh, I carried around a little basket with bread and apples. Um, I had a little blue uh, gingham dress that I wore. And I renamed my mother, the Cowardly Lion, my father, the Tin Woodsman, and my brother, who had just been born, the Scarecrow. Um, At that point, I'd moved each year of my life um, we were living in a suburb in the bay area called almaden um but looking back i really have no idea why i was so obsessed with that particular story um it almost seems prescient um like i could somehow sense that my life would resemble a sort of um long exciting kind of crazy adventure to faraway places um you know similar to oz um you know what interests me now about those books is that they i think are just truly American fairy tales. And there really aren't that many that aren't originally rooted in other parts of the world. Um, It's also remarkable for the era that it stars a girl. Um, You know, L. Frank Baum, I've you know read about him a bit, and you know, he supported women's rights and suffrage at a time when that was not common. Um, And so I must have felt just welcome in the story, you know, to to identify with Dorothy. Um, I, and in the books in particular, I think more than the movie, you know, having seen that later, um, you know, Dorothy is so curious and she has this kind of common sense and practical attitude and she's very open to whatever she comes across. Um, You know, she wasn't like a superhero figure with some kind of, you know, magical power or genius or something. Um, But she's just this kind of normal girl with an open-minded attitude and a trust in herself that allowed her to make the best of whatever came across her path. And that must have been, you know, deeply appealing to me.
1: So in a later essay, you write about the concept of nowhere, which is interesting when juxtaposed with the concept of home. So you write, nowhere is not a location, but rather a judgment of value, presumed to be so clear it doesn't even need naming. And it is always wrong. So as somebody who's lived in many locations others might dismiss as nowhere, how did this, and perhaps also your father's role as an engineer, help you to understand and appreciate the cities of your childhood and adulthood from um, an archaeological perspective?
0: Yeah. um, So one supposed nowhere I write about was a stretch of desert in the eastern province of Saudi Arabia it didn't really have any sign of life. Um, There were no buildings or roads. It was just open desert. So if you picture a kind of prototypical nowhere, it might be this sort of empty desert place. Um, But a friend of my parents, who was an amateur archaeologist, had uh, introduced it to us. And he knew that this unmarked stretch of desert was the site of an ancient trade route um, with trade that reached back um, at least 6,000 years. So if you just bothered to look down at the sand, um, you might see anything from uh, a Roman Empire coin or uh, a bead from Mesopotamia or a shard from, um, you know, a medieval Egyptian perfume bottle. Um, You know, this supposed nowhere had this incredible um, amount of stories and history to it and this incredible heritage of human culture just sitting right there. Um, And another place I write about um, is my experiences in Lower Manhattan, um, where I witnessed, kind of as a bystander, um, as a young New Yorker, I just moved to the city, um, two of the city's most important archeological digs, uh, both discovered because of construction projects. Um, One was a large section of Five Points, which is uh, the slum of Irish Famine Immigrants, infamous for a long time for its poverty and its violence, but the dig um, into these buildings that this um, that were revealed um, actually uh, presented objects that told really a different story that upended the simplistic view of the people who'd lived there. Um, the other was the African Burial Ground, which really rewrote the history of New York City um, in the most profound way. Um, it exposed Uh, the fact that New York City was originally built by African slaves. Um, And this, you know, history had literally been buried under the ground and was really only partially acknowledged by historians. Um, It had been assumed that the burial ground itself had been destroyed because of the centuries of building on top of it. But um, in fact, there it was if you just dug down far enough. Um, So it was like a nowhere that got rediscovered and placed back onto the map. And, you know, I was fascinated by these places and these stories because in some ways I think they really parallel (laughs) so many of our own personal histories and the way we view them. Um, You know, the the stories we may forget or bury. Um, And there's something very hopeful to me in looking in new ways at, you know, the familiar or the overlooked.
1: I love that. I love that concept. And I think that it... um works very well in thinking about the next question here. Um, So in Mystery House, the essay Mystery House, you write that you lived in 17 homes growing up, but how you remember these places, how you experience them now looking back is as this whole yet mishmash structure. Um, So how did living in 17 different houses affect your ability to kind of settle down um, atop the memories of them? both as a member of your immediate family and then later when you became an adult.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, So that essay was inspired by the Winchester Mystery House, which is a landmark in San Jose that I lived near uh, one year when I was a kid. And um, it was built by Sarah Winchester at the turn of the last century. Um, She'd inherited the vast Winchester gun fortune from her late husband. And what she did is she renovated and expanded an original farmhouse over many decades into a mansion of 160 rooms. Um, So I got to thinking about the 17 homes I'd grown up in. Um, I counted up the floor plans and I saw that they totaled up to 134 rooms, so a mansion worth of rooms. Um, In that essay, I explore, I try to explore the creativity. Involved in so much building on Winchester's part, and then also the moves as directed by my parents, but particularly my mother. Um, Winchester has, I would say, really been slandered (laughs) um, as the sort of crazy, eccentric, rich lady who even was obsessed with ghosts. Um, But evidence shows that she really was just an amateur, very wealthy, self-educated architect who viewed her home as an experiment um, for many really quite innovative ideas, um, including she actually built one of the earliest water catchment systems, um, which uh, are useful even today in, you know, California with our droughts. Um, so, you know, growing up with a mother who loved design, um, interior design, architecture, these interests have really been passed down to me and my brother. Uh, my brother is an architect, um, and I feel I really could have turned out myself to be a um, If not an interior designer, then I don't know, someone who trades in real estate or does something along those lines, um, as my parents actually did for a while. But, um, you know, so there's a huge attraction for me there. Um, What I've chosen to do instead, though, is I've really forced myself to focus on what I think matters more to me, which is creating the home that my son needs. Um, and a life where I can write and be creative, but in a different way.
1: So um, in thinking about you as a writer, I wanted to ask you a question about the role of research. Um, So I noticed while reading each of the essays in this collection seems just meticulously, robustly, joyously researched. Uh So Can you tell us about the role of research in your writing process? And I'm also curious how this interest um, might be informed by your unique upbringing and experiences.
0: Yeah. um, You know, writing essays, it really allows me to indulge my inner historian, my inner archaeologist, philosopher, cultural journalist, um, music enthusiast, um, by researching anything and everything that will serve my subject matter. Um, And so research really does play a huge role in my writing process. Um, I had a lot of fun, um, for example, writing the essay, um, Several Londons, 1977, um, where I explore what happened in the city that year, which is um, a year I lived there. And uh, I was able to (laughs) dive into subjects ranging from the sex pistols, um, punk actually started that year in the city, um, to Queen Elizabeth's Silver Jubilee and ideas about history and monarchy and cultural revolution and countercultures and and all of these types of subjects. Um, You know, one thing I did was to track down some old travel guidebooks uh, of London from that era to try to time travel um, back to that place. And You know, I I really do enjoy it. I feel like um, it's important to me to do justice uh, as best I can to my subject and to get the facts right. Um, You know, I think as far as tying it to my childhood, I think growing up, hearing things told to me about places and peoples um, that I was familiar with. I had lived in these places or I had visited, you know, these countries um, that were really wrong, you know, that maybe got uh, certain assumptions or stereotypes. Um, I, you know, it's really driven me, I think, to get as close to the truth as I can in my, in
1: my work. So about the structure of mobile home. So, um, it's mobile home, a memoir in essays. Mm-hmm. So what does the essay form allow you as the writer to do or to tell this unique story in a way that a more traditional memoir wouldn't?
0: Mm-hmm. Um, I love writing essays and uh, I, I also I really think the the form it just lent itself to my subject. Um, I've come to think of it as kind of the ultimate nomadic form. <laughs> um, it's so flexible and it you know easily you can just capture um, any improvisation or um, you know just a serendipity of research and this sort of thing and certainly the quality of mobility, um, I think is really reflected in the form itself, and so um, when I'm writing the essays, I feel like I can just wander wherever I want, um, almost like I'm taking an actual journey um, where I don't necessarily know where I'm headed, but um, you know, the discoveries and, and kind of the journey itself is is um, is really where the the joy comes comes in. Um, you know, so I do feel that the essay allowed me the freedom to accommodate the nature of my subject, um, kind of that shifting nomadic subject matter.
1: So another question that's related to this is the, the structure of the essays themselves. So I noticed that all of them follow a numbered section format. So mm-hmm. <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about how this sequential structure is ideal for the, for the logic of your essays?
0: Yeah. Um, that developed organically, um, I don't ever write chronological stories (laughs) for some reason. I don't write beginning, middle, end, um, probably because I don't really think in a linear fashion. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, what I love to do in essays is to come at a single subject from many different vantage points. So um, I write them in numbered segments because I honestly view each segment, each piece. as almost like a facet onto the same subject. Um, So when I'm writing them, it's like I'm turning the subject in my hands and viewing it from different angles. So the structure, um, you know, it just allows for this. I can jump around, I can cross large spans of time, um, you know, jump from theme to place to, you know, subject matter. Um, And, you know, often I will actually pick a total number that ties in some way to my theme. So in spider season, um, there are eight sections. And two of the essays actually have 17 sections um, for the number of moves I made as a kid. Um, though I don't write about the moves sequentially, um, the, the number is just sort of sitting in the background, giving the structure
1: to the pieces. Oh, that is fascinating. I had not picked up on the, <laughs> the number of sections within, but that's, that's really cool. I'm going to have to go back and look at that. <laughs> um, so I have, I have just one more question for you, and uh-huh. that is what are you hoping that readers of mobile home might come away from the book understanding a little bit better about our world and the concept of home? Mm -hmm.
0: Well, with COVID, of course, um, we all have a very different relationship now with our homes. I think Uh, we've been caught and trapped um, in our, in our houses and and homes in a way that is really unprecedented. Um, You know, I hope that with mobile home, um, you know, that it, it, I, It explores, I think, what elements can make a home useful to us, um, livable, enjoyable. Um, But I think it also explores the limits of what a home can ever mean or provide. Um, And so, you know, I think the book can help to reframe how we see our homes and also what more we may want from them in the future.
1: Megan, thank you so much for your thoughtful answers to these questions. It's been a real delight having you on the show.
0: Oh, thank you so much, Zoe. I really enjoyed it.
1: My name is Zoe Bossier, and you've been listening to an interview with Megan Harlan, author of Mobile Home on New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Thanks for listening.